Open your Bibles, if you will, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 24. I'm glad that you're here to worship with us this morning, and let me urge you to keep your Bibles open to the book of Acts, because we're going to use several verses scattered around in different places, and I want you to be able to turn and read them. Thank you. All right, you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 11, verse 24. Listen to these words. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Now you recognize the fact that these words are spoken about Barnabas. The Bible said he was a good man. You know, God has many different ways of revealing his truths to us. In the Bible, we have history to inform us. We have doctrine to instruct us. And we have examples to inspire us. One example is better than a thousand words. Among all the Bible characters found in the New Testament... Few, if any, will surpass Barnabas, the good man. His Christian character and conduct is above reproach. He was a delightful person, gifted with the ability to refresh you rather than depress you. Barnabas was like a peaceful sunset after a raging storm. He was like oil poured on troubled waters. But most of all, the Bible said he was good. We are first introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. And then you'll find him in a lot of the chapters in chapter 13 and 15 and 9. All of the chapters in the book of Acts dealing with the life of Barnabas. The Bible said that Barnabas was a good man. Now, the word good in our day is widely misunderstood. We're not quite sure what the word good means. It has fallen into bad company. And I believe that there are two views that people have of being good. The first view is this. A good person is one who never really enjoys anything. He doesn't swear. He doesn't lie. He doesn't steal. He doesn't even dip snuff. And so we say about that person, well, he's a good person. The second view is everybody's good. Now this person may drink, he may chase women, he may curse, he may blaspheme, but after all, he's a good old boy. And I believe that both of these views are wrong. The Bible teaches us that there is none good but one. So the word good has fallen into bad reputation. The word good is rarely used in the Bible. Uh, you may be amazed to find out that there are only two people in the entire Bible of whom God said they were good. Now there were just men and women, devout men and women. But the Bible said that Joseph of Arimathea was a good man. And then here it said that Barnabas was a good man. So he almost stands alone. 
But you and I know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you want to see the condition of man, read the book of Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 10, going all the way through verse 18, and you'll find that awful, horrible list of sins that mankind have always and still committing today. The Bible said that Jesus was a good man and he went about doing good. And the scripture said that Barnabas was a good man. Now when God calls a person good, it means something. I may call you good and it may not mean a single solitary thing. But when God said Barnabas was good, it meant something. He was not inherently good. Uh, he was not naturally good. He was not legalistically good. He was good because he had admitted that he was bad and had gone to Calvary. And he accepted and received Christ's goodness. And that's the only kind of goodness that God really cares for is that which comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. When I studied the life of Barnabas, I found that there are four characteristics of a good man or a good woman. And I want to share those four with you. I see them in the life of Barnabas. And maybe, just maybe, that you and I can endeavor a little bit more to be a good person. Well, let me give you the first one. If you will turn to Acts chapter 4, and uh, beginning at verse 36. Acts 4, verse 36. And here we find the first characteristic of a good man. A good man is a generous giver. Acts 4, 36 and 37. And Joseph, who by the apostles was named Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and on the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now I want you to see the background of this passage. As you recall, it had not been very long before the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved, most of them Jews. There were some Gentiles. There were a few proselytes that were saved, but basically they were Jewish people that had been saved. Barnabas was a Jew. According to Acts 4, he was a Levite. He was now living in Jerusalem, but he grew up, he was born and grew up on the island of Cyprus. Now then, in the church in Jerusalem, there arose a great need. There were two things that caused so many people to be needy. Uh, first of all, there was a famine in the land of Israel at that time. And secondly, when these Jewish people became a Christian, normally back in those days, and still today this happens, three things would happen to them. When a Jew became an apostate, he left the Jewish religion. He would be excommunicated from the synagogue. He would lose his job, probably, if he worked for another Jew. And if he owned his own business, they'd boycott him. And so there arose among the Jews and the Gentiles a lot of needy people. Well, Barnabas was a member of that church in Jerusalem. We're not quite sure when he became a Christian, whether it was on the day of Pentecost or afterwards but he was a member of the church. 
And Barnabas was not one of those people who was needy. He evidently was quite wealthy. He owned a plantation on the island of Cyprus. He's now living in Jerusalem. And one night or one day, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to Barnabas. And he said, now, Barnabas, you know there are a lot of needy people in and around Jerusalem. Uh, you've got that land on the island of Cyprus, and you, you really don't need it. Why don't you sell the land and take the money and give it to the church, and it'll sure help a whole lot of needy people. And since he was a good man, he would obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He put the land on the market for sale. It sold quickly. He brought the money and gave it to the disciples and said to, it, to them, Here, use this money to help those who are needy. Now, that's a generous person. Do you know why Barnabas did this? Well, there are several reasons why, but I'll mention only one. He did it because he recognized his stewardship before God. He had a stewardship view of things and not an ownership view of things. We in America have an ownership view. We own things. We own a house. We own a car. We own all kinds of things. And our attitude is that of an ownership. But you don't own a single solitary thing. You didn't bring anything when you came. You aren't going to take anything when you leave. And you don't own anything now. God in his goodness has simply given us all of these things for our use while we are here upon the earth. So really the ownership attitude of things is pagan. But the Christian attitude for things is the fact that God owns everything. And that God in his goodness and in his mercy has given you and me every single thing that we have. You know, when Jesus came, he, uh, he laid aside some of the things of the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, the Jews recognized God's ownership of things by giving the tithe. Uh, Jesus never set that aside. He told the Pharisees in the book of Matthew that they were to continue tithing even though they were abusing some of it. But he said, you go ahead with it. You know, if you will give me your check stub, well, probably you don't use a check anymore. You, you pay your bills online. But if you will give me your check stubs and let me look at them, I can pretty well tell what kind of person you are. I want to see the checks that you have mailed out. I know something about you. You know, the attitude of Barnabas was this. He was a trustee of that which God had given unto him. And he was a generous giver. I like what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4. And Paul was writing to the Corinthians and he said this to them. He said, the people of Macedonia pleaded with me to be able to give to the Jewish people who were poor in Jerusalem. The word pleaded is in there. He said he pleaded, they said he, he said they pleaded with me. They begged me to let them be able to give. You and I, as believers in Christ, ought to be careful about how we make our money, and we ought to be careful how we spend our money. Because one day we will stand before the judgment bar of God and give an account to him for the way we've used the possession that he has allowed to come our way. 
So, characteristic number one, Barnabas was a good man. Well, look at characteristic number two. He was a gracious helper. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse 28, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, uh, told them that they had been recipients of spiritual gifts. And in verse 28, he gives a list of those gifts. And the Corinthians were fond of and fascinated by some of those gifts. But there were other gifts. They didn't care a thing about them. Uh, they liked the gift of speaking in tongues. Uh, they liked the gift of healing. They liked the gift of miracles because those were showy gifts. And everybody could see them. But if you're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, there's a little word right in the middle called helps, H-E-L-P-S. Do you know not a single person in Corinth abused the gift of helps? Nobody wanted it. But it's a gift. Look at it. It's right in the middle of all those spiritual gifts that have been given. It's just as important as, well, maybe more important than speaking in a tongue or performing of miracles. Have you ever prayed to be a helper? Well, maybe you don't know what a helper is. So let me tell you what a helper is, and maybe you will begin praying that God will make you a helper. A helper is someone who knows when to pick up a pen and a card and write a letter to a friend that you haven't been in contact with in a long time. A helper is someone who knows when to pick up the telephone and call somebody and say, you know, I was just thinking about you and I want you to know I'm praying for you. A helper is someone who knows when to cook a meal and take it over to the house of a neighbor that, well, they're not even sick, but you just take it over because you appreciate them. Oh, I realize that the newspaper is not going to write these things up. You probably won't even get it on Facebook, but I promise you God will make a record of it in heaven. And one day when you stand before him, he'll say, I saw you when you did this. Thank you for being a helper. A helper is a wonderful person. And the scripture said that Barnabas was a helper. Uh, he made Christianity attractive. I remember reading some time ago about a little girl uh, in the family devotion, prayed something like this, Lord, make all bad people good, and Lord, make good people nice. That's a helper. You and I need to be nice. We need to show Christianity by the things we do to help other people. And the Bible said Barnabas was such a son of consolation that the, the disciples changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas. I like that name. It's a wonderful name. Now there were two people that Barnabas helped. Oh, I'm sure there were many more, but time will not permit me to tell you. But I want to tell you about how he helped a man by the name of Saul. You'll find it in Acts chapter 20, I mean Acts 9, uh, verses 26 and 27. Uh, Acts 9, 26 and 27 shows us how Barnabas uh, helped Saul, who you and I know as Paul. You remember that Paul was an arrogant young agent of the Sanhedrin. 
He was zealous for the Jews' religion. He hated Christianity because he thought it was a sect. It was a wicked thing. He tried to kill the Christians in and around Jerusalem. Many of them fled to other cities, but he would find them. And so one day, he's on his way to Damascus. He's going there to arrest the Christians and to bring them back to Jerusalem to put them in prison or else to put them to death. But on his way to Jerusalem, just outside of the city, he was converted. A light shined from heaven, a voice spoke from heaven, and Saul responded, and Saul was soundly converted. He went on into Jerusalem, Ananias met him and baptized him, and the Bible said he began preaching in Damascus. Uh, but he left there and went to Arabia for three years, and then finally came back to Damascus and began preaching, and the Jews rose up against him, and he had to leave the city, and he went back to Jerusalem. He's intending to live there for a while, and so he is in Jerusalem on Sunday morning. I can almost visualize it in my mind. The congregation in Jerusalem have met in the building. James, the brother of Jesus, is the pastor of the church. Saul is sitting back in the congregation. James preached his sermon, and then he extended the invitation. One of the first people to step in the aisle and make his way down was Saul. Saul walked up to James and said, James, I'm Saul. Uh, I have been converted. I was saved near Damascus. But now I was baptized over there, but I'm living in Jerusalem now, and I want to transfer my letter into the church here and be a part of this fellowship. James is delighted. Folks, he said, this is Saul. We've been praying for him for years. He tells me that he's converted and that he was baptized in Damascus by Ananias. But he's going to be living here for a while. And he wants to transfer his letter into our church. Do I hear a motion that we receive him? There's an eerie silence. Not a single solitary person will make a motion to receive him. James is standing there. He's embarrassed. He finally turns to Saul and he said, Saul, I'm sorry, but nobody will make a motion to receive you. Now, do you realize that this could have been the end of Saul? But the Bible said this, but Barnabas took him to the disciples and declared unto them how he, Saul, had seen the Lord in the way. You know, the rest of those Christians were suspicious of Saul, but not Barnabas. Barnabas was not going to hold a person at arm's length. Barnabas was not going to hold a person's past against him. If the man said he's saved, I'm going to believe it, said Barnabas. And he stood up for Paul to the disciples, put his reputation on the line. But he insisted on believing in the best part of other people. Do you know... Have you ever thought about it? Had it not been for Barnabas, we might have lost Paul to the church. 
And if that had happened, there would be no Corinthians and Romans and uh, Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Timothy. None of those books would have been in the New Testament. What a loss that might have been had it not been for Barnabas. He helped Paul. And then later on, he helped a young man by the name of John Mark. He was a relative, but he was, a young, he was younger than Barnabas. Uh, you remember that when Paul and Barnabas went on the first missionary trip, they took John Mark along with them. But John Mark was young. And when they reached Pamphylia, wild, rugged country, the Bible said that John Mark turned and he went back to Jerusalem. Well, Paul and Barnabas continued on their journey, came back to Antioch, and after a little while, according to Acts 15 and verse 36, uh, one day Paul said to Barnabas, Barney, uh, let's go on a second mission trip and revisit all the churches that we planted before, and then maybe we can plant some new ones. Barnabas said, good, I'll go get John Mark. Paul said, no, you won't. No, sir, I'm not going to give him a second chance. He left us at Pamphylia. I can't trust him. I'm not going to let him go. And there was an argument and contention that broke out between Paul and Silas. You know what happened. And finally, Paul took Silas and went on a second trip, and Barnabas got John Mark, and he went on a trip beside that of Paul. Now, you know, Barnabas was right, and Paul was wrong. Barnabas believed that a man could fall and yet get up and go again. He would believe in others. He had confidence in what they would say and do. And so he went on the second trip. And you know something? Later on, uh, Paul had to write to Timothy, and he said, Timothy, I want you to come to see me. And when you come, bring John Mark, because he's profitable unto me. Barnabas was a helper. I thank God that he gives us a second chance. He's given me a thousand upon thousands of chances. And the same thing is true of you. So Barnabas was not only a generous giver and a gracious helper, but thirdly, he was a glad observer. Now you've got to go back to the book of Acts in chapter 11. In chapter 11, uh, in verse 20, a revival broke out in the city of Antioch, which is in Syria. Uh, the church in Jerusalem heard about the revival in Antioch. Jews and Gentiles were being saved. They needed to send somebody to Antioch to check it out and see if it was legitimate, okay. They sent Barnabas. Isn't that something? They had all those other apostles there, but uh, they sent Barnabas. And the Bible said when Barnabas got to Antioch, he saw what was happening. He rejoiced in the salvation of souls, and much people was added unto the Lord. Can you see him in Antioch? Uh, remember, Barnabas is a layperson. He's not theologically trained. He's not a rabbi. And so after a few weeks in Antioch, he said to himself, evidently, you know, 
uh, this job's too big for me. I can't handle it. But I know a person who can, Paul. The Bible said that Paul was living in Tarsus and that Barnabas made that long trip to Tarsus. He found Paul and he brought him back to Antioch and I can see him now. He said, Paul, she's all yours. I'll be your number two man. Did you ever, did you ever want to be a number two man? No. And most of us want to be number one. We want to be the chief, but not Barnabas. Barnabas was willing to play second fiddle, but he played it so well that the kingdom of God grew. And multitudes of people were saved in and around Antioch. You know, one of the greatest marks of Christian goodness is that you don't get miffed if somebody else can do something better than you can. That's tough, though, isn't it? It's hard, but it's possible. It takes grace to push another person above yourself. Let me quickly go to the last characteristic. He was a great soldier of the cross. In the book of Acts, in chapter 13, beginning at verse 4, we understand that Barnabas was a soul winner. When he arrived in Antioch, he found believers and he added believers to those who were there. Barnabas exhorted people to win souls, to help others to come to know Christ as their Savior. He evidently taught a course in soul winning. A lot of people were saved. Barnabas was thoroughly and completely missionary. You know where missions starts? At home and then everywhere and in foreign countries. Uh, Barnabas believed the Great Commission to go into all the world. He believed the gospel ought to be heard by every person. He went on that first missionary trip, you remember, he and Paul. But now, uh, he and John Mark on the second trip started out on the mission trip. And if you will look at uh, Acts chapter 14, uh, verse 4, whenever Barnabas and John Mark got all their bags packed and ready to go, Barnabas said, uh, Mark, let's start on Cyprus. Why on Cyprus? Well, remember, that's where he was born. He had family members there. He had colleagues there. He had friends there. He wanted to go to Cyprus. One of the best places for you and me to begin is at home. And then the neighbors. And then other people, wherever they might be. Winning them to the Lord. Do you know the Bible said that Barnabas was a good man? God never said he was gifted. But God said he was good. The Bible said he was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. He was totally surrendered to the Lord. Nothing greater can be said about you and me than this. He was a good man or she was a good woman. But in order for that to be said in truth and in reality, you must repent of your sins Receive Christ as your Savior. Surrender your life to Him. 
That's what Barnabas did, and God called him good, and he'll do for you exactly what he did for Barnabas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example placed before us, the life of Barnabas. And Lord, I know that you've been speaking to people throughout the message this morning. Some do not know you as Savior. And in just a little bit, we're going to give them an opportunity to come and trust you as Savior. Uh, most of us in this building already know you as Savior. But Lord, we may not have the characteristics that Barnabas had. Give them to us. Let us be a Barnabas. And for it, we'll praise you and thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Anne's going to come in just a minute and lead us in a hymn of invitation. Randy, if you will come whenever we begin singing and stand here, and I'm going to invite you to come. You that do not know Christ as Savior, you may not understand just how to become a Christian. But if you will come, some of us will talk with you and pray with you and help you that you can become saved and then you'll be like Barnabas. Others of you may say, you know, I've been saved for years, but I don't have those characteristics that Barnabas had. And you may want to come and just kneel down around these steps and say, Lord, right now this morning, I'm surrendering myself to you. And maybe somebody wants to transfer his or her letter into the church. I believe they'll vote on you if you tell them you're saved. Stand together. If you will, and Ann, come and lead us, please. Randy, if you'll come. I want you to bow your heads for just a minute and close your eyes. Be still, be quiet for a moment. Let the Holy Spirit of God speak to you. Look into your own heart. Is there some decision that you need to make? Some decision that nobody else knows anything about. But you know it. The Lord knows it. We're going to sing another 
verse of the hymn in just a moment. And as we sing it, if you will, make your way into one of these aisles. And if you don't need to come, pray for others who do need to come. Will you do it? Come on. I'm so glad you came this morning. Thank you so much for giving me your attention. The Lord willing, I'll be speaking again on next Sunday, and I'm working on a sermon on the uniqueness of Jesus. And if you will, you come, bring someone along with you for the service next Sunday. Okay, Randy. Why don't you put your hands together if you believe Reverend Jesse Powers is a good man. in the Barnabas kind of way. Well, where are you all going to be today at 5.30 p.m.? Ice cream. Yes. I <laughs> ice cream, we scream, we all scream for ice cream. All right, so we'll see you at 5.30, but before you go, let us remember Paul's amazing doxology in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God bless you today.